0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Progresso Talent Partners, who for more than 25 years have successfully delivered interim and permanent leadership talent to transform businesses. To hire the talent you need to enable your business to thrive, visit www.progressotalent.com today. Hey, Astrology listeners, just before we get into today's episode, a warning in advance that this podcast contains discussions around the topic of suicide, drug use, gambling, alcohol abuse, and prison. So if for any reason that proves a difficult subject to listen to, just wanted to give you all the heads up that those are all topics that are included in today's episode. So many of us have lost track of our sense of freedom and passion for adventure, succumbing to the pressures of modern life. We should never let go of our dreams and always strive to gain new experiences and enjoy life for everything it has to offer. This is a quote from today's Astrology guest, David Hayes. Drug addiction, alcoholism, crime and time in prison, took David to rock bottom and a realization that he was distracted from his true values and that which made him come alive. He is now on a journey of self-discovery on a quest to take his love for adventure and bringing people together with the aim to inspire and motivate for people to come alive and take that step into the unknown to truly live through adventure no matter how big or small. It's a journey of self-discovery and adventure that has seen him smash seven stand-up paddleboarding world records. He is about to launch Europe's Untamed Beasts, a first-of-its-kind stand-up paddleboarding adventure He's also attempting to be the first person to stand up paddleboard the River Nile and the formidable Skeleton Coast. So what's the story behind the story? Without further ado, let's get into it. David Hayes, welcome to the Astrology Podcast. Great to have you here in person as my guest, and I think it's been too long that whilst the virtues of face to faces we've dis- uh, online as I said have been much discussed. It's great to be back to doing things in person again. I think there's uh, there's much to be gained from it. So um, as is customary with all astrology guests, we like to start with a bit of background, start with the early days. So before we we bring it up to speed uh, with uh, with more recent events and where you're at today. Where did you grow up? What was childhood like for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, first off, thank you for having me come in. And as you said, it is great to do this face to face. It's, you know, it's two years. We haven't been doing anything like this. So it's nice actually to get out and do this. But yeah, for me growing up. So, I mean, I haven't been given the worst cards in life. I haven't been dealt the best cards in life. My father died before I was born. I end up going to military boarding school from from the age from six to 18 and for me, the emphasis on adventure is really put on you when I was at military boarding school. And we used to get camouflage gear from, you know, our friends, parents. We'd disappear into the woods. And then when we were meant to be coming in for bedtime, we'd have the school teachers sort of chasing us. So for me, boarding school is where I grew up. It was more around, you know, my friends and the teachers became my family, not my real family. I didn't really become that close to my family until my older life, until I sort of left boarding school you know, came across a few troubles in my life. And that's where me and my family really bonded.
0: See, when when you say military boarding school, so oh, not to make any assumption, but I was as I would understand it, that would therefore be, it's a school for those that have some kind of military military family where as a consequence of that military service, they're travelling all over the world, being posted to all four corners. You've got that stability and that spot that provides you a, a home in inverted commas, that you're, you're a regular base, if you like, whilst family members mm. are, are doing their thing for, for queen and country.
1: It is, yeah, no, it is. But they were really strict as well. Really? I mean, at six years old, we had to make our bed, stand at the end of the bed before breakfast, and the teachers would come and check the bed. If it's not made, then obviously they strip it back, and then off you go again. I mean, I'm six years old at this point. It's weird to think, my nephew now, who's 10 years old, it's weird to think about him making his own bed. You know, the fuss that he would kick off, uh, kick. you know, he would kick off if he had to make his own bed. But there I was, six years old, stand at the end of my bed, And then in the evening, we used to to do certain exercises as well, a lot of running and everything. But one thing about boarding school is so good at giving you opportunities. They see your potential. They really try to push you. But something that I now know, looking back at everything, is they never taught me how to deal with failure. And it wasn't until I got a bit older that I came across my first failure that I just didn't know how to control this anymore, how to deal with this.
0: So what do you think, if you took the pluses from that educational experience, what do you think you gained from it? What were the upsides for you?
1: They gave me a real zest for life. They really gave me lots of opportunities. A lot of doors opened for me. So from boarding school, I went to university, university. I moved to London. I became a Forex trader, you know, and the education wise it's small classes. They really push it on you and they really can focus on you and train you up to deal with life. But it was that whole failure. I wished at some point in my life. I had you know I, I someone taught me about failure maybe not having a, a father around maybe you know you fall over you hurt yourself him coming along and teach me about life and maybe that's what I miss is it a boarding school thing is it me not having a father but I always wish that there was more emphasis on failure and like looking back at failure now it's not a bad thing failure it doesn't just because you failed doesn't make you a failure you're somebody who has failed and it's such a great tool for growth and change and that's what i now see failure as but i just wish that you know i could have seen that a long time ago
0: Killy adventure plays a big part in your life now mm. and we're going to talk about that in some detail but if, was there a time you recall as you look back where you first felt ah, this is you know that real buzz that you've gotten out of that first of it was the first experience that you could describe
1: yeah I mean it's, it's back to going back to that boarding school that military boarding school so it was in the middle of Surrey like out right out in the countryside there's woods around us and we would just go out the school bounds we shouldn't have done it but we'd go and play in the woods and it's just that little buzz first off we're out the school bounds that's quite exciting and we'd have this military gear so put all this camo paint on us with all camo gear and we just go and play army men in the woods and that's where this real real thirst for adventure came from absolutely loved every moment of it and i just loved those weekends when they would come around and me and my friends would just disappear into the woods and just build dens and climb trees and everything and i just absolutely loved it and so you moved on to what did you study at university so popular music and record production and radio production as well wow yeah
0: and where had that where had that interest stem from?
1: So from fifteen, I started playing music, uh, guitar and piano, and absolutely loved music. And then I studied music at college, and then from there, I went to university, studied music at university, and you know, it, it's it was going well. I started working in radio. I started my own long radio online radio station. And eventually I moved to London for an ex-girlfriend and then I couldn't carry on my online radio station. So I ended up selling that. And I just happened to fall into finance. So I became a Forex broker, got my no, license. And
0: there was no sort of, there wasn't a kind of, this is the path I'm going to follow. I'm, I'm going to be a Forex. You go from radio to Forex trader it's <laughs> yeah. quite a shift.
1: Well, yeah. So, so I'm in London and I, I, I couldn't do the, the radio anymore. So I saw that it was getting too much to also try and do a proper job as well. So I ended up selling that and I wasn't doing radio anymore. So I'm... The, job my girlfriend at the time she worked for qvc the shopping channel so she was working there and i was just trying to find a job i was doing bits and bobs there and eventually this broker job came on my brother works in finance and i read loads of books about you know the finance industry and there's one book by ben mesrich called rigged about a guy who starts the dubai stock exchange and i really liked that and it's sort all of got me really interested so i started following on the markets and an opportunity came up to be a broker so I thought, yeah i'm gonna give that a go so i started broken foreign money did my licenses and then I started trading it and yeah, I was doing really well. And then suddenly me and my boss fell out. I wasn't doing things her way. And that was my first biggest failure when I got fired. I just didn't know how to handle that.
0: It's a brutal business, right? And I, I think mm. probably, so what, what what sort of time, it gives a sense of timescale for context. What, year, what sort of year are you talking about here?
1: So this must have been, so when I got fired, it must have been 2013. I think it okay. was.
0: Okay Okay. So I think probably it's, it's always been a brutal world and arguably that, that world of finance, that sort of higher and fire still applies today. I'm not sure, mm. but it's, it's probably, I wouldn't say it's gotten any easier, but it's probably gotten a bit more empathetic, I suspect, as to, you know, to, to people's plights. But how, how do you remember how you felt? Can you remember the emotions you, you were going through when you say it's your first significant experience of, of what you're perceiving as failure at that point? How did you feel?
1: Yeah, I mean, my life was going at 100 miles an hour, I'm earning some good money, you know, I'm going out to all these restaurants, I'm spending a lot of money, living like the London life, like everybody, when they moved to London, I was living that life, people wished that they could live. I mean, looking back at it now, that wasn't who I was, you know, I just lost touch of who I was. But then suddenly, you know, the carpet was pulled from underneath me, the, the wind was taking out of my sails. And then I was like, I've done so well for myself to get to this point. But I sort of did this all on my own. My family were proud of me. My girlfriend was proud of me at the time and suddenly it's all disappeared. And I was just too proud. And I think as men, we seem to do this a lot that we just don't ask for help. And like I just tried to deal with this all on my own. So I turned to gambling, spent a lot of money on gambling through that. I ended up using a lot of drugs that all spiraled out of control. The drink got really heavy. And my life was just going down the drain so quickly and quickly and quickly that eventually that, you know, I had turned to crime.
0: I mean, it's, it must have been an incredibly, you look back, an incredibly mm. f- fraught time and all credit you for, for talking about it. But can, can you remember, so it was gambling first, was that, was that the first sort of sense that you got that things, you were, you were turning down a path perhaps that was going to be leading to some destruction?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I pretended to go to work, like the girlfriend at the time I was with, I was trying to, I was pretending I was going to work, so I would disappear. I mean, she worked shift patterns, so I could sort of leave for a few hours and come home. But in those few hours that I was trying to look for work, but I also needed to get money, so it looked like our bank account wasn't going down very quickly. And then in those hours, I ended up going to like the bookies, I ended up going to the casinos and start spending money. And then that one time you have a big win, you think, okay, you can do this, but you know, I can tell you something that you'll never win better gambling. It just, it doesn't happen. The house does always win. And there's that saying for a reason, because it does.
0: And what sort of timescales, pardon me, the descent that you found mm. yourself, the tumble you're on, how quickly do you think you thought I might be in trouble here?
1: It's well, it's a funny one, really. So it was sort of a year all spiraled out of control. I mean, there was, you know, recreational cocaine use when I was working in the city and then I started using it more and more because it numbed my pain. It made me forget about things like it's weird. I, on a weekend when I was with the girlfriend at the time, like I didn't crave it. I know I was probably addicted, but I didn't crave it. It's such a, it's such weird to explain, but I used to just take it to numb my pain. So I ended up moving some stolen goods and I got caught for that. And eventually I got arrested and they were saying, you're going to go to prison. You're going to go to prison. I had this court date looming over me for another year. In that year, so there was a year where it all went wrong, and then there was another year where I got back on track, I ended up becoming a business development director for another Forex firm. Life was great again, earning some good money, but I was being told that I was going to jail. My drug use continued, and I was hiding this big secret. I didn't tell anybody that. I, good, not, not a soul? Not a soul. Nobody knew anything. So I had all this pressure on me, and that day I was meant to go to court, I just sort of cracked. It was like a mental breakdown, I suppose, and I just disappeared for five weeks, just gone tried to take my life twice, and then turned to some more serious crime, which then resulted in my prison sentence.
0: Goodness. And and so with respect to, you mentioned the cocaine use, that you didn't crave it, mm. but that you were using it to to numb your pain yeah. at the time. Did, did you did you seek a bet? Was that a real lure for you? Was there that drive, that sort of pulling you in, that sense of, you know, I, I need to bet, I need to gamble today?
1: There was the need to try and earn money, but those times that I did win big. Well, I say big, it wasn't massive, but you'd win. There was that buzz like, Oh my God, this is good. I can do this. You know, I'm thinking I'm convincing myself that actually you can make a living with this, I can hide all of this. I can get my life back on track, but it's just not the case. It really isn't the case. But you know, once I got this new job, I stopped the gambling, but the drug use continued because I still had this looming court day over my head and I was told I was going to prison. I didn't know anybody that's been to prison. I don't have any friends that have come from that sort of walk of life anything this is a whole new world because I was keeping it to myself I had nobody to talk to I didn't know what to do I mean these police were bullying me basically and threatening me that you're going to jail I thought this is the end of my life what do I do
0: so there was a point at which you started to fix things get things back Mm. on track you mentioned you got a you got another job good job business development director of another forex firm was there a sense of uh, was there a uh, albeit short period of, of a sense of relief a sense of things that or oh, maybe things are turning around maybe maybe actually i could put my life back on track was there a sense of that at any point once you secured that role
1: yeah i i think so i definitely because i was thinking now my life is back on track maybe if i go into court for this court date you know maybe i can explain the whole situation what the stolen goods i moved it wasn't the stolen goods and i don't condone anything i've done it was about 1500 pounds worth of stolen goods it turns out I wouldn't have gone to jail. So eventually when I did get caught and I was sentenced for that, it wasn't a prison sentence. And I I wish somebody was there to talk to me and help me with this. But I was thinking if I go in front of a court and know, I've got this new job and I'm earning good money, I can give something back. You know, all the money I'm earning, I can pay back what I've done and I can donate certain money or do something to try and make life better. But I think taking away would have just made things worse. But I didn't realise... Like, I didn't really take control of my own mental health. I think that was the big thing. Mm. I and mean, the drug use just really wasn't helping.
0: Were you drinking as well heavily at this point? You think you had, yes.
1: The, yeah, no, I was. I was it and was, had the gambling stopped? Or were you, so you, you, you there was keep, the odd flutter here and there. Because yeah. um, I think it was still trying to chase that buzz. You know, once you had a few drinks, I mean, a bit of cocaine. I thought, will oh, just go and give it a little go. I got some money at the bank, so at the end of the day, it's not the worst thing. But it was sort of the drinking. It wasn't drinking on my own. It was when I was out. It was excessive, and I was out a lot.
0: I guess just trying to escape, trying to yeah. numb the pain, trying to, to, to get away from this huge pressure that you would have been feeling, kind of sort of Damocles is, is, is heading far. Do you, do you remember if you, that, that court case... How you felt when the verdict was handed down? were, were, had you, you, know, were you in court thinking I'm going to prison? That, was there a point in which you thought, I mean, I'm not. That's actually things might be all right. I could, I could. This path, if you like, business development, mm. it's a new job. Things are turning. I'm, you know, I'm not going to prison. Ooh, this is. Is there a chance I could? Could you have stopped at that point and and drawn a line in the sand? You think?
1: Well, the when I actually did the so I disappeared for the five weeks. So of course, yeah, yes. So in those five weeks, I committed more crimes. So well, even though when I was found, I got sentenced for that. When the police arrested me again. They sort of knew something else was going. So even though, yes, i got the verdict, life is great, you know, it'll, you know you're not going to jail. I knew that there's something s- more serious coming, there's a big storm coming. And my family, again, didn't know what happened in those five weeks. They knew a bit, they knew about me taking my life, they knew all of this. But the, the huge storm that was, you know, brewing, they didn't know about this yet. And then eventually, it was about six weeks later, I remember it was in June, and I'd had a really nice dinner with my mum. We sat outside, my mum and my mum's partner. We're having a fire, lovely, lovely afternoon. I had to go and answer a police bell, which again, they didn't know about. And then that was it, gone. And I was gone for one year and six months. And my mum was like, It's like you just died. You were just taken away from us. We had this lovely evening. You've gone to London and then you never came home until a year and a half later.
0: How, how did you feel sat there with your mum that evening knowing this was, was coming?
1: I didn't think that next day that I was going to get remanded and go to prison. Right. So I thought I'm answering a police spell a few more questions. I didn't know how much they knew, you know, I didn't know what's going on. So I went and that was it gone. So then it was that phone call from the police station to my mum saying, just come clean, t- tell her everything. Like, we'll,
0: we'll come back to that in due course. But that, so that, Talk to me about that five weeks. Where did you take yourself? Where did you go?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I lived in London. I just, so I came back home. Like I went down as Ham Common, like around the area where we live. I went there, that's where I knew, and that's where I sort of tried to take my life. It's all my fond memories growing up as a child. And, uh, yeah, and I just went, I went back there and just, yeah, I tried to take my life there. Wasn't successful. I spent a few days and I went to the New Forest, tried again. Wasn't successful, thank God. Somebody was over look, looking over me. And uh, I just then went, went to Surrey, just sort of a lost man and ended up, saw an opportunity, I ended up breaking into a house, ended up turning to burglary. And there was no one in the house. I didn't hurt anyone, nothing like that. Still don't condone it. But, yeah, and I just did it as a way to survive, to get some money and sort of just go from the day to day to try and live and figure out what to do. So you are drifting on your own at this drifting, point? Drifting, that's the one, yeah. Yeah, on my own again. Like, just nobody knew anything. Well, I didn't speak to anybody. You know, everyone just seemed I disappeared. And in those five weeks when I lost myself, I just assumed, you know, everybody's wiped me out. You know, they don't care about me anymore. But that's not the case. Like,
0: was it? Was it? Yeah, you know, the word that springs to mind, and I again, ought not to make any assumptions, but a sense of shame that was driving some of those behaviours. All was that shame. It, all
1: shame. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, all shame. Like that's why I think I'd partly t- trying to take my life. I've got so low in depression. I tried to take my life, but there's also that shame just sitting over me. Like I couldn't face the world again. I've done so well, you know, I've gone to, as this Forex trader in London and some great money and suddenly right down to the bottom. Like it was, yeah. Weird. And,
0: and no one, you weren't able. And I know that, oftentimes it's not the case that you'd naturally seek support. You know, you, you mm. always get to a point, I suspect, whereby you think, well, no one can help me anyway. But you, that you weren't you weren't able to get sort of medical help or, or help from a psychological perspective, your mental health. It, mm. There was no... Just you you couldn't that. see a way out. Yeah,
1: yeah. I was just stuck in this hole and just couldn't see a way of climbing out, just just going deeper and deeper into this hole and never taking a breather, I suppose, and never living in that moment trying to f- figure life out, like taking a step back and going you know, holy, you know, what's it like, what do I do now? How do I do this? And something that I've learned now is, you know, one of the bravest things you can do in this life, and one of the scariest things you can do is just ask for help. Such a simple little act, and it can change your life completely. I mean, still to this day, like, if I need help, I ask for help. Like, it's just so weird to see the man I am now to that man I was then. It's crazy.
0: So you are here today, which is fabulous. And well, and it sounds incredibly condescending to say, <laughs> well done you, but it's great that you are. Yeah. Um, what was the trigger? What was the change? What was the point at which do you reflect back and think there was a moment? Mm. Was there a moment where you thought, you know what? I, I'm, I am going to turn this around. I can turn this around. I want to turn. what was the sort of, what was the process?
1: Yeah, so I came out of prison and I was so focused on getting my life back on track. I was so focused on earning money again, I was so focused on getting my own place to live that I'd never spent any time to focus on me and figure out who I was. So I came out of prison, started my own business, earned some good money again, got into a toxic relationship. That spiraled out of control. The drug use came back in. I spent all my company's money. Debt collectors started coming in, all these debts building up, and it's just spiraled out of control. It's like, what do I do now? Unfortunately, I turned back to the crime, and again I got arrested. This time it was five years, four months. You serve half, and I remember in that cell, like I was such a broken man, like so broke, more broken than I was last time. Now, I didn't try to take my life, but I was a shell of a man I once was. And I was just thinking, like how how have I got to this place, like as I said from the start, I've been given the worst cards in life. You know, I've been given so many opportunities and here I am serving a second prison sentence. Like, how has this happened? And I just sort of drifted for the first year in the prison cell, or my prison in the prison system. And then one day I met a, a woman called Dr. Sarah Lewis. And she r- was running this sort of yoga circuit training in the gym. And I went and joined it because I started picking up my fitness again. And it just took me, took my mind out of the prison. Like, even though my body was there, it took my mind out. And I was just talking to Sarah And I was like, who are you? Like, what are you doing in prison? Why are you spending time? I spent this time with her. She owns a company called Penal Reform Solutions. And I was like, I need to get involved with you. So I started working with her when I was in prison. And she's like, when you get released, you need to come and speak to me. So I end up getting released. And she's my boss now. I will now work for her as a consultant for the criminal justice system to try and prove the system that is broken.
0: Goodness, but Again, I'm interested in the, in the sort of, in the triggers that, so you, you made it, you made a conscious decision to, mm. you know, to improve your fitness, to get back into fitness. Yeah. Was, was there a sort of moment where you thought, you thought, actually, do you know what? I need to, at the very least I want to get in
1: shape. Did, so, did, yeah. That, so I wanted to get back into shape because I used to love that. And was, what was, what was the. So this, so when I, so I basically decided to go on this journey of self-discovery. So I always started reading all these self-help books and all of this, start reading all these things. And I was thinking, one of the main things that was missing from my life was adventure. So growing up, I used to play county rugby. I was a tri-county athlete. I used to be a national champion sailor, surf my university. You know, sports was a huge part of my life. And going to London, I let go of that person that I was. I let go of all of that. And I was thinking, like, that was something that that's who I was. So I got back into all this fitness You know, I then met Sarah, I kept reading all these self-help books. I then qualified as a life coach inside as well. I came out of a mindfulness-based practice. And one thing that I always used to love before going into prison was paddleboarding. And my mum used to send me paddleboarding books. used to send me surfing books, uh, magazines, sorry. I used to put them on my wall. So all the lads around me would have pictures of half-naked women on their walls. there would be me with pictures of paddleboarders and surfers all around these locations in the world. And I remember just thinking, like, when I come out, I'm going to paddleboard the four longest lakes in the UK in four consecutive days. Like That's my goal. So I'm starting to come out of this hole now. I've now got a purpose. I've got a vision. I've got something to look forward to when I come out. I still had a year and a half to go. So I met a PT inside. He then put a pr- program to me to train to. So I started training. I was in the gym 10 times a week. And I thought, like, got this goal. I'm going to do this. So I'm going to come out and I'm going to paddleboard these four longest lakes. And I remember telling the lads around me, when I'm out, I'm going to paddleboard the four longest lakes in the UK. I'm going to set four world records. And they used to say to me, no, you're not. Like, you're a prison number. You're always a prison number. And you're always going to be a prison number. And in that moment, I realized that prison isn't going to define me. That like, I'm not going to be defined by my mistakes. Like, nobody should ever be defined by your mistakes. And the only one that's in control of our destiny is us. I'm the only one that can control my destiny. If I want to come to prison again, I can do it. If I don't want to come to prison again, I don't have to come to prison again. So that moment they said that to me is that I knew that I'm going to get out to that world and I'm going to just change everything about myself. That I'm really going to push myself. And I'm also going to try and highlight the purpose of reform and rehabilitation. I want to show more people that our mistakes don't define who we are. More than that, I just want to try and change perspectives on people like myself that have been to prison. Because most of the people that have gone to prison, like they didn't wake up and decide to commit a crime. There's a reason behind why we've committed a crime. There's always, there's probably like 3% of the people that, you know, decide to commit a crime. The rest of us, there's a reason and we need to do more. Anyway, I came out of prison and I ended up doing these four lakes, which would be an anniversary next week, a year ago.
0: Tell me about Sarah. So what, what was it about Sarah
1: that inspired you? Sarah is probably the most amazing individual you'll ever meet in your life. Like she is just, she's an angel. The thing that, Really, what it all changed for me is she saw me as an individual. She spoke to me as an individual and a human being. For that to be done in the prison system is a rarity. Like, nobody does that to you. Like, she just puts all this criminal justice bit aside. For her and for me and for everyone else that I work with, going to prison is having your time taken away, your family time taken away. And that's where the punishment should stop. So Sarah has gone over to Scandinavia. She's seen how the prison system works over there in Norway. And then she tried to bring it. I was in Guy's Marsh in North Dorset and she tried to bring this program over to the UK. And I tell you what, you know, it really has, it's changed my life and she's made a big difference over in, in North Dorset. So we've got, there's about six of us that we all met Sarah inside. We're all three men now and we're all working for her and we're all sort of I suppose, thriving in our different areas, which is absolutely amazing.
0: And do you remember that first, can you reflect back on that first yoga fitness type session Mm. you were doing, how you felt at the end of it?
1: Amazing. So it was just eight hours of pure fitness. Really? Eight, e- hours? eight hours? Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I was exhausted, absolutely exhausted, but it was such a good how, exhaustion. How, how
0: early was this into your fitness journey as well? Were, were you in reasonable shape before you yeah, embarked?
1: Yeah, I, think I started getting okay. into it, and that's why I thought, you know, because they they basically offered two. It was one in the morning, one in the afternoon. I said to the guy that was running it, like, can I just do both sessions and just go for the whole hog? He's like, if you want to. And then, yeah, and I just felt just great. And I, it was that... When I went to bed, I could sleep well. I felt physically fit, and I just knew there's people trying to do something. So from there, I organised the marathon for the prison. I ended up starting organising all sorts of sporting competitions for the prison to get the lads in to try and get them to feel what I felt. And it was just amazing. I think sport, the power of sport and the power of adventure is absolutely mind-blowing what can actually do for you?
0: And what, what sort of reaction did you, well, let me ask you, what, what the reaction was from, from fellow inmates? What was their response to the sorts of events that you were putting on?
1: First thing, when you start doing these things, people, they start calling you, they call it a screw boy, right? which can get you in a lot of trouble in prison because they think, you know, you're hanging out with the prison officers and, you know, you're snitching, they call it. But I was like, I'm doing this because it's made me feel amazing. and I want you guys to feel amazing. I want to take you away from prison like it's done for me. Like, you can see me how you want to see me, but I'm doing this for us. I'm not doing it for them. And eventually, you know, people then started to realise, actually, you are doing some good work inside. And then they start getting involved. And then from there, I actually made a position for myself in the prison. So I started writing to companies on the outside. So I started writing to Lush, B&Q, Sainsbury's, Dorset Tea Company, and I started getting them involved with the prison as well. So they would come in and talk to us. And the idea was they would then hire the guys when they get released as well. Like, I just... Experience this broken system and I want to try and fix it or help anywhere I can so when I've come out I started raising money for the Alliance of Sport who use the power of sport in the criminal justice system to help tackle reform and rehabilitation they made me an ambassador for them as well now so everything I do with my paddle in, I do with them in mind as well
0: so on, on your release from prison that first day of, of freedom
1: yeah straight into lockdown wow <laughs> yeah. okay I was just going to ask you just yeah, again for yeah. context around literally straight into lockdown Yeah, I think it was, we were three weeks into lockdown so I came straight out into lockdown and I'll tell you what though it was probably the best thing to happen to me in what sense? so when I came out that first time I was focused on coming out making the money and getting back to life again like I, my attitude completely changed that second like my second time when I came out but it gave me that time to just reconnect with my family so I had to move back with my mum and it gave me that time to build that broken family unit again. So I managed to build that. I managed to sort of focus on the where I've come from, where I'm going, and just take a breather. You know, a, two prison sentences. There's two two years, eight months. You've just done inside in a box. Like, just chill, man. Like, have a breather. Embrace life. Like, there's no rush. There's, you know, the whole world is shut down right now. So you don't. You can't get a job. You can't do this. So just relax, and just sort of just figure it out like just you know figure out where you've come from and all those things you told yourself just you know go back to them and see if they're all true and focus on where you're going next so what's it
0: for the benefit of those listening what's what's a day in prison look like
1: they tell you it's the worst day in prison so in winchester prison it's 23 hours behind your door if you want to educate yourself so if you want to so it's amazing how many people you know have got no English skills or math skills or anything like that. So Winchester will put an English class on a math class. So in the morning you might be able to go to a master English class, but if you want to ring your family or have a shower and, you know, and you get high, you know, be hygienic, you had to pick, do you want to educate yourself or contact your family? And you know, then that's it. And then that's it. You're locked up again for the rest of the day. And like, it shouldn't be a choice. Like you should have your education and then maybe in the afternoon, ring your family and go and have a shower. But in, in, in winchester it's nothing like that and the screaming the noise the violence the smells the drug use it's uh it's horrendous it's, there's a tv show i think it was on bbc time right uh, with stephen graham pretty much spot on there was a bit more than that which i thought i wish they did that when i was in prison but at the time if you if you want to have, see what prison's like, time is the closest thing that no one's been to prison will see goodness
0: so, so you Back to lockdown, then you sat there and thought, okay, so we're locking down. I can't, I can't, I'll work it out. Mm. You'd made the, for want of a better phrase, boast or statement whilst you were in prison that when you got out, you were going to, your paddleboarding was going to, mm. I think, four longest lakes. You now hold, as I'm right, seven.
1: Seven world records. S- seven down, yeah. world
0: records. Stand up. We'll, we'll come on to some of those. But at what point did the sort of, you know, the, the, the path to that first day on the first lake, mm. to, what was the journey?
1: Yeah, so I mean I was more determined, still determined, I'm gonna do these. I made this vow to myself. So it was locked down. Every morning I'd go running to about 10, 15 miles every day, and do a bit of exercise at home. And then eventually Boris Johnson lifted the ban so we could do water sports. I think it must have been about four months into my release. And I came down to Port Harbour, six in the morning, and I was the only one out on the, out in the harbour. The only paddleboarder for a few hours, and it was amazing. Like, how how long had it
0: been since last you'd paddleboard at that point?
1: Three years, yeah, three and a half years, I think. And I went out into the harbour, and it was unbelievable. The weather was beautiful. The sun was shining. Like the beaches were untouched. So I went round to Brownsy Island, and I was just the only body, anyone there. And it's just, uh, it was the most amazing feeling I had. And uh, that's made me more determined to go into these four lakes. But it made me realise going out into that water, is like. All those times I've been fantasizing about paddleboarding, being on the water, reconnecting with my old self. In that moment, I realized that my old self is back. That guy that used to love the sports, who used to love the adventure, he's back again. Like, And we're not going to go back to those old ways now. Those old ways are the past, and let's leave them there. Let's now be creating this new future, reconnecting with that guy that used to love that sport and adventure. And that's what I'm doing now.
0: So... First day on the lake. What's the journey to to get to that lake? How much training had you had to do? Fundraising. What was what was the?
1: Yeah, so I continued my running. I continued powderboarding as much as I can. I ended up getting a job working for a family company putting solar panels on roofs. So I put money aside because at this time I'm just a nobody. I've come out of prison. Nobody was going to sponsor me financially. However, one company gave me a board, Fatsticks, uh, who I still work with today. They've just created me a custom board now I've called the Nomadic Racer. Great brand, local company as well. So they, they came with me, hired a camper van, went up to Scotland on the 14th of June last year and went to Loch Ore. Never been to the highlands of Scotland and it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen before. I remember getting to the start of the Loch Ore, just looking out and I was thinking, this lake's massive. Like it is massive. How big is it? It was forty kilometers, but on the map it looks quite thin. But when you see it in real life, it's wide and long. Like so what's really that? Twenty
0: five miles. To- About like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, okay.
1: I, I did. So before that, I did for one. My, I did a fifty k paddle from Paul Harbour to the Isle of Wight, out onto the Sodom carrying a baby oak tree for a charity. Which great conditions were perfect for that. Um, carrying
0: a baby oak tree baby oak tree yeah so <laughs> yes, i did it
1: for the prince's trust who teamed up with uh gone west who plant trees um and they're trying to get good, uh, young people into planting trees so i did it for them and planted the tree on the isle of wight which is yeah it was awesome that was the biggest one i've done but then when i did loco it's just a completely different beast in its own like I was the only one on the lake and the conditions just so
0: no 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 support team no support no, yeah. team I
1: try and keep no support team if I can to make it a true adventure and I remember just paddling down the end or to, you know across the lake and you could see the mountains up in the uh, up in the highlands and there's the waterfalls falling and it's just ah it was just so peaceful and you can hear these hawks just squawking above you. And just that freedom that I just felt there, like considering just a year ago, I just walked out of a prison cell and where I am right now and this freedom that I was experienced, there was just, you just can't explain it. You just need to witness it. Like, and I was like, I'm absolutely loving this. Like, and I remember I finished that one and then got the uh, camper van. I drove to Lake Windermere. The camper van broke down on the way didn't get to Lake Windermere till one in the morning, woke up on Lake Windermere, not knowing if my camper van's going to be fixed at 11 o'clock in the morning. we got it fixed. Went to Lake Windermere. I paddled that one, then headed over to Liverpool to get the ferry over to Northern Ireland. I remember when I was at Liverpool, I was just talking to this old deer who's from Northern Ireland. And I was telling him like, I'm going to go and paddleboard ball Loch Ness. And he said, Loch Ness, this is amazing. Like, yeah, it's a great lake. You know, you've got to watch out for these changing weather systems. The, uh, the the waves that roll nine feet oh yeah not so long ago there's four kayakers that disappeared and drowned out there i've mentally prepared for myself for this lake but i met this deer old deer who then put the who scared me again it was just to give me all the fear of sort of coming back anyway i got in the middle of Loch lochney and it was the weirdest experience right in the middle like, you can't see land anywhere there's it's such a big it's 43 kilometres from, you know, from north to south. And I think it was twenties east to west. Right in the middle of it, you just can't see so land. Was,
0: you may as well be at sea.
1: Yeah, it was. Like, when you paddle out at sea, though, usually you have a coastline to one side and nothing. Yeah, on the okay. other side here, there was nothing. And eventually the weather started changing on me. The waves started rolling. And all I remember is this old deer just telling me about these guys that disappeared and these changing weather systems. Luckily, I had all the right equipment on me. You know, I'm a, competent paddler so i thought if anything goes wrong i'll be all right anyway got to the other end third world record like this is I, I, amazing I, I, and
0: what sort of time when you say what what sort of times is your is so, sort of journey take
1: so 43 kilometers i did it in five hours ten minutes goodness which, yeah which is which is quick so i was quite i was quite pleased with that yeah 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 absolutely <laughs> anyway so from Loch nay we went to try and we went from to belfast to get the ferry back and i remember having a pint Pine of Guinness. I was just thinking to myself, at the, at that moment in time, I held the most world record, paddleboarding world records by anybody in the world. And he's like, you know, I could stop now. Like, you know, this is amazing. Just doing three is a great achievement. But I remember those lands in prison that told me that you'll always be a number, stop daydreaming. I was like, no, I made a vow to myself when I was locked up in that six by four prison cell that I'm going to go and paddle four lakes in four days and set four world records. All right, if I don't set the four world records, that's fine. But I said four days, four lakes. And, like, I used to always look for an easy way out. That's what got me into trouble. And I'm like, don't, you don't think like that anymore. That's the old you. You now you've come up with an idea. Now, like, go and do it. Like, if you can do it, then do it. So I got on that ferry, I had this fire in my belly, went to Snowdonia for the fourth day, and went and did that fourth lake, my fourth world record. And I absolutely smashed the the ballot Lake. I, like, did... 12 kilometres, I did it in one hour fifteen. Like, yeah. And I it was just such a beautiful day. And I remember getting to the end, the sun was shining, I got a phone call from the charity, I was raising money for the Alliance of Sport, and they said, Do you want to be our ambassador? I was like, that's amazing. And I just broke down in tears. Just just pure happiness.
0: And the contrast between that six by four prison cell Mm. and the vast (laughs) expanse of the lakes or the countryside, the mm. highlands of Scotland, Northern Ireland, where it's Snowdonia. I mean, how do you describe the, the huge difference that you would have experienced?
1: I've always, I've always liked being outdoors. I've always loved the great outdoors. But going from that prison cell to now being outdoors is just like, I just constant, constantly crave to be in big open spaces. Yeah. Like, I don't know if it's some sort of condition where I don't like, I'm not a lot claustrophobic. I mean, this is a small room, but I just love being outdoors and having this all massive space around me. I don't know what is it. It's just, it's just, that's when I feel most alive and that's when I know who I truly am. Like when I'm out in these spaces, but also with these endurance events, when I really push myself, like that's when I know what my body and my mind's truly capable of. And I learn so much about me and it gives me so many tools to deal with modern day life that I know if I'm going to come into any trouble again off the water like I got into trouble before, I know I've now got the tools to take control of that and change my life to live a much more meaningful life. Who did you phone
0: when accepting uh, that the charity phoned mm. you to ask you to be the ambassador, which must be a great, a great feeling. But who did you phone when you touched the, the end of that fourth lock, if you like, and you're out of the water? Yeah. Was there a first uh, phone oh, call? Yeah.
1: My mum and my partner. It? Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Then, then my grandma. And then I got the phone call from my brother and then all the phone calls started coming in. But it was just, ah, uh, it was amazing. Like, it was just, it was the conditions, everything about it was just, ah, uh, absolutely. Blind. So, the reason,
0: the reason I asked the question is mm. that, you know, if you look at those troubled times, there mm. was a consistent theme of not telling anyone anything. Yeah. But that actually, you, I guess, part of that lesson and the learning and the journey is that mm. it you know, is sharing experiences and articulating feelings mm. and emotions and, you know, good and bad. You know, clearly, you're articulating and sharing. Good experiences, good things, or perceived good mm. things, and absolutely they are. Some may argue that's easy to do. Yeah. I'm not suggesting it is. I think if you've come from a place where your default is not to share, mm. actually to have broken that mould and to be able to talk to people about whatever it is that you're going through is uh, is all credit to you. But I okay, so that that first phone call with your mum must have been something.
1: Oh yeah, no, it really was. It was, and it's so nice that my mum would like she bump into a family member now and she can proudly talk about me now as well. Like there's no shame about it anymore. Like, yes, you know, we've been to prison and she can say, oh, he's doing a talk about prison related stuff now. And she'd be proud of me saying that, even though it's, you know. And how do you feel about that? It's nice. Like, I know I brought so much shame onto my family and hurt. And it's just nice to be now, now for them all to be proud. Like, I've got a young niece and nephew who are sort of growing up. And my nephew at the time didn't know I was in prison. We used to tell him I was in Australia, but he now knows I was in prison. So it's now n- nice that we can start with talking to him about it and, you know, telling him, like you know, things in life don't always go right, but, you know, people do love you and support you. And, you know, if you think things do go really bad, this is what can happen to you. So
0: you've got some big plans now. Mm. There, are, there are other adventures to come. There are other things. you Talk to me about where, where do you go from here? What's the plan?
1: <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, so... I did the four longest lakes in the UK. And there's a guy called Nick Butter, I think we spoke about before, didn't we, who ran a marathon in every country in the world. And I was like, well, Nick can run a marathon in every country in the world. Why can I not paddleboard the longest lake in every country? I know certain countries don't have lakes, but we can figure that one out later. So I thought I came up with this idea to do Untamed Beasts, which started off with Europe. So in September, I'm going to go and paddleboard the 33 longest lakes in Europe and try and accept 33 world records on these lakes in 66 days. But before then I, I I've already, I've done Republic of Ireland. I've managed to take that one off. I'm off to Iceland in August. I'm doing the Isle of Wight in July, I've done the river Thames and I've done Loch Ness, but after I've done Europe, then I'm hoping to go and do Central America, then I'm going to go and try and do Asia and the more I'm paddle. The more people sort of get interested interest in my work, we're making a documentary around my Europe trip, which hopefully will then lead on to a, another series to help me continue my journey, get my message out there, and continue my paddling.
0: So, the, logistically, that strikes me as—I mean, I've read Nick's book, mm. and it's a fact I can put it down as a fascinating. I mean, it's more of a—if I'm honest, it's more of a travel book than it's a yeah. running book. Although clearly, it's it's, it's a run in some fabulous places. But the thing that struck me was about that story was, or Nick's story, is that the support that was around him was, was critical. And there were mm. certainly some, some bumps in the road, significant bumps in the road. But how, how are you pulling all this together? What sort of resources, support have you got? Do mm. you need? How's, how's it all playing out? I mean,
1: we're open for any support, anyone who wants to get involved and help in any way possible. logistically, It's an absolute nightmare. I can imagine.
0: (laughs) Especially coming off, you know, we we hear a lot as Mm. we sit here today about issues with travel Mm. and, you know, COVID is still lurking out there. There's there's, there's, certainly from a European perspective, there's troubled parts of of Europe right now, as we've Mm. been as well documented. So, yeah, there are some challenges, some hurdles to overcome.
1: Yeah. So we've had to take Croatia out and Russia for obvious reasons. Still, obviously, dealing with the COVID thing, trying to get around that. And it is just because we're dealing with governments, we're dealing with, you know, visas, we're dealing with trying to... Filming, because we're filming, we have to get filming permits, all of this. And it is an absolute nightmare. So this little simple idea I came up with, it's not so simple anymore. It's, it's just become quite... a romantic beast of its own, right? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, but I mean, as, you know, things are going well for me, my team behind me is getting slightly bigger. So it's sort of where I used to come up with these ideas and just sort it on my own, I now got some people behind me like just let them deal with that now. Do, do you think that's part of the learning? That it strikes
0: me that much mm. of what you've talked about through your earlier life and some of the troubles that you faced, you did them on your own, you you dealt with them on your own, or respectfully didn't deal with yeah. them on your own, or dealt with them in a way that
1: you felt at the time was the only way. hundred percent. Like, I used to try and deal with things, I suppose a lone wolf. I yeah. always tried to lone wolf it. And I think what I said earlier, it's just that simple thing, to ask for help if you need help. I don't know everything in the world, you know. I, I really don't. And like... And I just I do need to help. This areas where I need to help, and it's nice to have support as well. Like, and it's also when you talk to people, you they might have an idea that you never thought about to make your life simpler or something better. And it's just nice to involve more people as well. And it's nice to involve my family, with my ideas as well. They think they're all stupid, but it's nice to have them on board. And you it's know, nice to prove them wrong, right? When <laughs> you get them done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think they're stupid half the time. <laughs> I just like let's do it anyway. Yeah.
0: So in terms of of. The cause, if you like, for mm. what you're doing. Are there, are there any particular kind of, you know, are you raising, you mentioned you've raised some money for charities mm. before, are you doing it for any particular, or I mean, you don't need to be, clearly, you can be just be doing it for your own sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. You, what's the sort of purpose behind it?
1: I mean, the the main thing for me is it gives me this drive. It gives me this vision, like sport and adventures completely transform my life. And I love pushing myself because I learned so much about myself. Like when I'm at that absolute low on that water, when those demons are niggling, telling me to quit and I can manage to shut those demons now, that's when I know I've got control of who I am again. That's the number one why I do these things. The other thing is to highlight, you know, what I said, like the, the importance of reform and rehabilitation. To prove to others that your mistakes don't define who you are, and I want to show others the power of adventure. Like, you know, it doesn't have to be paddleboarding the longest lake in the world. Like, I just want people to reconnect themselves through adventure. Like, take that little step out of your comfort zone. I gave a talk a while ago, and a woman was asking me, like, she's got a kid, two children, a husband, works full time job. How can she do it? And I was like, just. For a weekend, you, you and your family go camping, learn to make a fire together, like take away all your phones and just go and learn to make a fire by rubbing two sticks together or something. That's an adventure. And you're creating core cool memories as well as a family, and that, that's what it's all about. That's what life's about, creating happy memories. It's not about chasing money or anything like that. It's just living your most happiest life. But given this platform as well, that I want to give back to some charity, So I'm going to continue to raise money for the Alliance of Sport. Where my dad died before I was born, the R.E.F. Benevolent Fund look after, looked after me and my mother. They paid for my education, which is great. So I'm going to use this as an opportunity to give money back to them and raise awareness. And there's a charity called the Adventure Therapy Charity, who I want to help out as well. They're a new unknown charity, but Adventure is my form of therapy. And it is amazing what it's done for me. And it's amazing the work they're doing. So I want to highlight their work and raise money for them as well. So what is it that drives you, David? Just to live, you know, just, just to live a happy life. Like, I just want to learn more about myself. Like, I've, I've become very passionate about life again, like, and about living it. Like, I was, when I was in London, I looked back at it. I was just stuck in this rut. I was stuck in this hamster wheel. I'm now living my best life. And it's taken me to serve two prison sentences to do that. So I think, you know, even though they are my biggest failures in life, you know, it turns out they've become my biggest successes in life. And, you know, it's just, I'm just happy where I am now. And that's what it's about. I've got my family's back together. I've got an amazing girlfriend. I, you know, I, I live down by Bournemouth beach two years ago, I sit in the prison cell and here I am like talking to yourself and giving talks and working for the criminal justice system to try and make it better. And like, yeah, it's amazing.
0: So there's a really interesting point around the criminal justice system. What, From what you've experienced and what you see and what you now know and you've learned from the likes of, of the inspiration that Sarah mm. has, has provided, what... What changes would you make to the system? How would you, you, I mean, you're talking about a huge overhaul of a system that's been in place for, I suspect, probably hasn't
1: changed that much for hundreds of years. It really hasn't. I am struggling at the moment. It's with the Ministry of Justice. I'm struggling with them because I do all this work. I put a great report together. We've had, like, the Guardian interest. They love what we've done. Sky News comes to those big guys up in, you know, up in the House of Parliament. He's just, they don't do anything. And I'm starting to lose a little bit of faith there. But I've started doing a lot of youth work now. And that's where it's. I'm really seeing change. I'm trying to, yeah. So I'm trying to work with the, the young people of today. Me, guys and girls that can't deal with mainstream education, maybe going down the wrong path, come from broken families. I've started doing work around that. And I tell you what, that's the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life. Like, I could quite happily, I think, give up my paddle boarding and just focus on that youth work. Because when you... See somebody that has been struggling, and suddenly, you know, a month later, they're starting engaging more. There's, you know, you see a smile on their face, they're learning more things, they're more open. Like, that's what it's about. And, like, that's what I absolutely love. And I'm getting them out paddleboarding. So that's great as well.
0: And, and so, you mentioned the advice you're giving around, you know, in terms of creating adventure, go and go build a campfire, sit in a front. What does adventure
1: mean to you? When I was inside, I came up with a motto for myself. And it's through adventure we live. Like life is an adventure and that's how we should embrace life. Just embrace it as an adventure. Live it to the fullest. And that's what, you know, adventure is. It's just about living life to your fullest. Like and it doesn't have to be, as I said, it doesn't have to be paddleboarding. It doesn't have to be going in the woods. Just live life to your fullest. Live life like you're meant to live it. And that's what an adventure is like, you know, all the fun stuff will come with that. You know, if you are stuck in a rut, then look at a way to getting out of that. Like I don't chase money anymore. That's what got me into trouble in life, chasing money. And I I'm not fussed about I obviously i pay my bills, but I'm not fussed about chasing the money. And I think I read a quote somewhere, it's like if you can find your passion and follow your passion, then the money will follow that. You know, you will live a happy life. And that's what it's about, just living living a happy life.
0: So how do you how do you find the tougher times now, because it you know it's it is a feature of everyday life no, no, absolutely there are for 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 everybody yeah you know life is a roller coaster it's absolutely true yeah. you know it's there are ups and downs, it brings its challenges to us all so yeah, how yeah. do you find how do you deal with those tougher times? How, what advice, therefore, might you give someone who's facing some of those tougher times right now?
1: I think you've just got to take a step back. Like, when you are getting bogged down, I mean, especially with what's going on in life right now with all these price rises. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's starting to worry me slightly. Not to a point when I kept committing crime, I think, all right, I've got to sit down and look at my finances because everything's getting expensive again. Yeah, but if you are going down that dark hole, just take that step back, just have a, have a look at everything, be mindful what's going on around you ask for the help if you need the help because people will help even if you don't have family or friends there are people out there organizations that will help you out in any way if it is with money problems drug problems drink problems gambling anything there is people out there to support you and help you but i think you just gotta realize where you are and if you do need that help i think you just gotta make sure that you know well, first off, you've got to be willing to want the help and change the help. But I think it's just taking that step back and being mindful of what's going on.
0: I mean, it's, every situation is unique, isn't it? But to your point, I think sometimes either a, perhaps people don't know that, that the help is available, mm. or that b, they don't know that they need the help. And it's actually to
1: go through that mm. that voyage. There has to be that recognition from the self first and foremost that I think that's where it all starts. Something has to change. Yeah, and I think it's the same with like prison rehabilitation, like. Nobody's going to rehabilitate you. Nobody's going to change your life. And I, and when I said early, like we're the only ones in control of our destiny. And but I think a lot of people get quite funny that when somebody says something, so for instance, if you go to say someone who might be an alcoholic, they might be questioning it already. But when people start saying you drinking too much, they then put their back up a bit more, don't they? And, and I think that's what a lot of people do get. It doesn't matter anywhere in your life. People sort of do get their back up when somebody else questions it. So I think you just need to be aware. Of what's going on in your life and just take control of it because again we are the only ones that can control our lives so what does success mean to you just being happy that's what living your fullest life your happiest life and being happy I think was it live love and laugh like, like I keep hearing it all the time and as cheesy it is I think that's what it's about isn't it like, uh, I, th- yeah. I think there's a reason it's cheesy because it actually yeah. is true right so I think probably if had I asked
0: you that question 10 years ago yeah
1: Driving a Ferrari, earning money. Yeah,
0: Yeah. I guess it's you know it's (laughs) it's interesting that there is. I think oftentimes, not for all, perhaps it's a sense of projection, but perhaps as a um, certainly at a young age, Mm. we oftentimes find ourselves believing that if you get the money, Mm. that's how you become fulfilled, and and therefore you become happy. And you know, so it's so there's a number that you Mm. need a number for that happiness to feed through.
1: Yeah,
0: actually yes, to your point, you, we all need a certain amount because mm. cost of living and, you know, we've got to pay our bills and we've got to eat, and we've got to do all those sorts of things. So money is an important feature of what we need in life. But it doesn't guarantee happiness. No. And, you know, to your point around living, you know, living a fulfilling life, I think what experiences can provide mm. and afford us, and they don't have to be, again, back to money, we we perhaps perceive that they have to be, you know, in far-flung places in exotic corners of the world, on expensive holidays, in five-star hotels, or whatever it might be. Mm. Actually, it can be, to your point, paddleboarding on, you know, on your local river. Actually, yeah. simple, something as simple as that It could be walking along, walking in your local forest. Yeah. It's just getting out and getting in touch with nature has a huge effect on the oh, world.
1: I, yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, nature has a huge effect on us. And I think as well, I mean, paddleboarding is my, it's my passion. It's what I love. And you know, you focus on your passions. And as I said, like you know, the money sort of comes. I'm focusing on my passion, and I'm going off across Europe paddleboarding. Like you know, I never sort of thought it'd get this big. Like you know, and hopefully, I go a little bit further. It's like, but I'm just focused on my paddleboard. I'm not focused on the destinations next, really.
0: So you, you mentioned the, the youth work that you're doing. which mm. you, My sense is you get some inspiration. Those people, when you see change in those people, mm. positive change in those people, that that's inspiring for you. But who or what inspires you?
1: I mean, there's 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 one man who sort of, I mean, first off, Sarah inspires me and the guys I work with and the girls I work with, That the, our whole team inspires me. And it is. if you have those down days, we have a chat group on WhatsApp, we have a down day, you throw a message in, suddenly, you know, there's so much love coming your way. I absolutely love that. Um, and if you need help there. But, I mean, there's people in this world. There's a guy called John McAvoy who inspires me. He was a lifer in prison, did 15 years, got a life sentence, you know, the, the criminal justice system wrote off wrote him off. He's now a Nike-sponsored Ironman athlete. He does a lot of youth work himself. He now lives in the Alps, and he, he's sponsored by Volvo. And I, if I could just do an eighth of what this man has done, like, you know, it would be absolutely amazing. But to see him, he's done more serious crimes and offenses than I have to turn his life around like that, then that's just, it's mind-blowing that, you know, it's just I absolutely love it. And there's other people like that who've done change their lives around. But there's certain adventurers as well that I actually love who just live in their best life through adventure, like Levison Wood, Steve Backshaw, those sort of people. I just watch them and it inspires me. It's like, yes, I need to get out there, see this world.
0: So what does the future hold for you?
1: <laughs> if I could paddle this world and, and that be my living, then that would be absolutely amazing. But realistically, you know, I'm doing more and more work for the youth now. We're getting more contracts with Sarah's company. And the paddleboarding seems to be going really well. So I'm sort of really enjoying where it's all going. There's bigger things coming up with the paddleboarding. We've got, you know, I've got some big sponsors starting to get involved now. And I think just ride this wave. I mean, i would keep doing what I'm doing now. If I can keep doing this till I'm 50 and one day get a little farm with some alpacas, and that would be amazing.
0: Do you, do you do anything in terms of other sports? Do you, mean, do you still run? Do you, do you, yeah, do you, no, do you, I still you, run. You're not on the paddleboard, not on the water. where yeah, else you
1: you No. Doing? So, I mean... With what I do, with endurance events, my body's fine. I know my body can deal with these. It's your mind that you need to, you know, you need to focus on. So every now and again, I might do a 70K run or something. So I did one well, a couple of months ago just to push my mind to those limits. So I still do a lot of running. I go to the gym, but it's mainly sort of running and paddleboarding now, surfing here and there, um, but they're the main sports now.
0: And what about, you, you mentioned working on the mind, how? How do you do that? What, what, what sort of techniques, practices, things do you do to give that mind the, the exercise mm.
1: and expansion that it needs? So mindfulness is one thing. So when I did the River Thames, I stayed awake for about 38 hours paddling that before I went to get a couple of hours sleep. And I remember it must have been three in the morning. I pulled my board out of the water. I was hungry. I was cold. I was starving. I was tired. And I nearly snapped the fin on the board. And I was thinking to myself, if I just snap this myself, nobody's going to know. I can walk away from this, tell the world that it snapped. It was nothing to do with me. And in that moment, I caught that thinking. Again, that's how you used to think. Like, you know, you're still awake. You know, your body's all right. You can continue to do this. So it's just being very mindful of your thinking. So when those demons do come up, like, and they still come up, even in my everyday life, you know, you're not worthy, you know, you can't do this. Like, it's just getting them and just shutting them up, getting rid of them, you know, Question that you're thinking. And like, It takes a lot of practice to do, and it's taken me to get some really lone, dark situations to figure out that. But I can now, any time that comes up, I can get it and shut it off straight away. And it's such a great thing. If you can train yourself to do that, then, yeah, it's good. And it's just with the mindfulness, it's just sitting down and just letting thoughts just come to your head. I think that's where you should start. Just sit in a quiet room and just let your mind go and see what comes up and then question whatever comes up. Just
0: take some time out for yourself now. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and I'd imagine it's quite meditative on a mm. board, anyways, isn't it? For a, particularly for the length of time you're <laughs> yeah. you're, spend, you're standing on it, but I would imagine that in itself is quite. Oh yeah, it's a meditative. form of meditation. Yes. Yeah. So
1: when I was in prison, I sort of start going to the uh, Buddhism meetings quite a lot. So I did twice a week for there for two two years, eight months. Really got into my meditation, got into my yoga. I read all these books and it's just, it, and what it taught me was absolutely amazing. So it is even just washing up, you can sort of use it as a form of meditation, walking anything like it's just anything can be a form of meditation. It is again, it is trying to get rid of those thoughts, but it's also good to see what thoughts come so you can challenge them.
0: Yeah. Do you read now? Are you? Are you I try,
1: Yeah, I try to read. It's just, you know, it's life it does get in the way, but now the summer's here. I'm getting on the beach a bit more. I'm pick, picking up books again. I started doing audio books, but I just find they don't stick with me because I'm dyslexic as well. So, I mean, audiobooks don't seem to stick in my head. I need to read something to really stick in there.
0: Hmm. So if you reflect back, what, what advice might you give your 21-year-old self?
1: Don't be an idiot. <laughs> just, you know, just be open and honest. Like, Just be open and honest and don't be a proud man, you know. I think a proud man... The definition of proud is asking for help, you know. That is what a proud person is, and asking for help. And just using that support, I think that's what it's all come down to. I wish, like, I mean, I wish I utilised it more so I didn't go down that path.
0: I think to your point, being proud, mm. the, the perception is asking for help is a weakness. Mm. It is. In it's some what way, shape, or it, form. But it's not. I, it's not. It's just, it takes great strength yeah. to ask for help. But I, I wonder how...
1: Much of that message. Yeah, how Mm. much of
0: that message really gets across or or is believed or and how we've created this sense that because I think that perhaps I'd be interested in your view, working with younger people, whether are those younger people is, is that sense of asking for help Considered a weakness amongst those younger people with whom you're 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 talking to.
1: It is. I think. Is it, it is. still even but now? I'm
0: thinking that when I was a child, it yeah. would have been asking but for help was. So I don't know if it's uniquely male. I'm. I'm I think. I'm, it, it, I think a lot of it thinking. comes down
1: to a male thing. Do I don't know. You know what? It, what women would say on this? We, but we need a we need a woman we do, in the room to do. offer a perspective yeah. on it, don't we? But with the children, the the young people, sorry, like I can see that they're asking for help. They're not directly asking for it, but I can see it. So when you do offer the help or support or anything, you know, they don't see it as them that's asked you. They you just spotted it. But it I think it just takes a lot for somebody to realise that, you know, you need to ask for help. So when I read all these self help books or, you know, all these self made people, like there's a point in their life they've always had to ask for the help to then become who they are. And like I think it just takes a lot for someone to realise that, yeah, you know, you do need help, you should ask for it. But, you know, you need to listen to these podcasts and read these books to realize that yeah asking for help is such a simple act and it can change your life
0: Mm, absolutely absolutely so where can people go to find out more
1: at the moment the probably the best place they want to find out more is on my Instagram at nomadic paddler I've got Twitter as well at nomadic paddler my website's just been redone at the moment but hopefully that can be in full swing but Instagram is probably the best bet and if anyone wants to reach me that's where they can reach me as well
0: fantastic David it's a It's a fascinating story that I could talk about for hours because I think you've clearly been on an incredibly challenging mm. journey. You don't need my endorsement for the way that you've turned your life around, but all credit to you. Thank you. Um, it's, uh, it's a story that needs to be told and uh, I think would offer a lot of hope to a lot of people who perhaps, for what, you know, whatever their circumstances might be, whatever dark times they might mm. be facing, You know, you offer a much by way of inspiration and proof that you can, you know, you can affect change. You can turn things around with a will and, you know, and a willingness to ask for help and recognize that it's there. So I wish you well in your future endeavors. Really appreciate you taking the time out today to come and talk to us about the life that you've had and the challenges you've overcome. And uh, look forward to seeing you on a board. Um, (laughs) Have to get you out. Uh, long, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, I'd love to mm. get 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 you on a board. See, get me on a board. I don't know that I'd have the uh, <laughs> the capacity for some of the travelling that you're doing. But you know, I think it's a wonderful thing that you're up to. So well, I wish you, you all the very best, every success.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Great stuff. Thanks, David. All the best to you. Cheers. Hi, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening to today's Astrology Podcast. I really appreciate your uh, audience and ears. Uh, If you've enjoyed it, then uh, why not hop onto iTunes and give us a review? I'd really appreciate anything that you might have to say, any feedback always gratefully received, and uh, look forward to hosting you next time. See you soon. Just a reminder, today's podcast is brought to you by Progresso Talent Partners. Visit www.progressotalent.com today for more information.